Take your Bibles and turn all the way to the first page. Well, you probably got contents and other stuff. So, Genesis 1. We're going to start at the beginning. Beginning our, our Christmas series, uh, Gifts of God. I'm going to look at Genesis 1 through 3, and as I, I said, I think a, a week or two ago, Christmas Eve, we will end on Genesis 3.15, the promise of the future Savior, the, the, the salvation that was planned from the beginning. But we're going to work our way up to that and see what God gifted us throughout the first two and a half chapters of Genesis. We have a new memory verse. I think that's the one that's next. Yep. Uh, for our John reading, and this was going to be for the next 13 weeks, but we're introducing it today, even though I'm in Genesis uh, until Christmas. John 1.14 is our, our passage. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is the last week we're going to do our previous verse. Y'all remember it? Just a couple of words there. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does he require of you? Huh? Oh, what does the Lord require of you? Pronoun, uh, proper noun, not a pronoun. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to love mercy, to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. Good job, kids. I heard the kids doing better than me. Plus, Etta feeding me the information down here. I didn't have my cheat sheet. You can get your next cheat sheet in the foyer or uh, on the tables in the Connection Center rack. Uh, it's all over the place. All right. This morning, the gift of existence. We're looking at the beginning, and there is a lot, a lot we could talk about looking at the first chapter of Genesis. I'm not going to answer all your questions this morning. I'm not going to answer whether Adam and Eve had a belly button. Um, as we move further in, we're, well, we're not going to get this far to people getting married and that sort of thing. I'm not going to answer who Cain, uh, Cain married and who Seth married. I, I don't know. So, you know, it, 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 that's, that's for a good Bible trivia game, a good conversation. What we need to see, though, as we work through Genesis, is why is Genesis even there? Why is the, the book of Genesis here? Little little background for you. Moses wrote the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Initially, originally, it was all one book, though. It wasn't five books. So it is a, a, the, the beginning story all the way through Deuteronomy, the end of Moses' life. That, that's when the, the Pentateuch is one thing. Penta means five. Uh, the five, first five books, or uh, the, the Jews call it the Torah, the, the law. Um, it it's, covers... A huge amount of time, depending, well, regardless of what your uh, thoughts on creation are, it's still a huge amount of time. And it is all a connected 
unit. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy actually all have the same overarching purpose, and it is to narrow it down. That's the purpose. We, when we look at Genesis, we see it absolutely as the beginning of God's, uh, beginning of the account of God's word in history. When God told Moses to, to write the first five books, he knew he was going to tell John some 2,000-ish years later to write Revelation. The end was already planned at the beginning, and we actually see that even in the first words of Genesis, in the beginning, implying that there will be an end. So we, there's uh, the beginning of the account of God's work in history, and, and Scripture shows us God stepping in over and over and over to choose a people, to direct a people, to bring about His will and His purposes. It's, it's the beginning of the universe, obviously. It's, it's the creation. It's, it's when everything started. Uh, everything we know, both uh, the, the, the things we can touch and feel, like dirt and, and matter, and things we can't, like gravity and time. All of that began with God. It's the beginning of humanity. He narrows it down, as we're going to see this morning, to a special creation. Humans, Adam and Eve. It's the beginning of God's selection of a people. He's starting with this part of the story to show us how he is going to narrow it down from the world population to Noah, and whoop, we expand again, and then Babel, and we scatter, and, and then he begins to call out a people, beginning with Abraham, a people for a purpose. It's the beginning of the work of salvation. We, we don't take long before we mess it up, Adam and Eve, and then immediately, chapter 3, verse 15, but there's a plan. Salvation is already in process, in progress. It's the beginning of the end. Like I said, God knew Revelation was going to be written someday. He knew what the end was already, and this is the beginning of the entire plan for humanity for all of time, and it starts with those first three words in the beginning. But in all of the things that he discusses, all of the things he told Moses to write, the creation of everything and the, the, the selection of a people down through Joseph in Egypt and, and uh, the, 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 uh, the giving of the law and the wandering in the wilderness, all that, all of that scripture, just as all of all of scripture is focused on God. The narrative may revolve around people and events in humanity, but God is always the focus. He is always the purpose. It's why I titled the series Gifts of God. I went through some various iterations of that, and I landed there because that phrase, that three-word phrase, actually has a double meaning. The gifts of God, those things that He gives us. Those gifts that were God's that he provided to us, but also gifts of God. God is actually the gift. 
Whether it's the gift of existence or the gift of rest or the gift of relationship or the gift of salvation, God is the gift in all of those circumstances and in all of those situations. Now, if you've ever read anything about Genesis and the creation account, you have read, there's no telling how many different interpretations and how many explanations, and most of us are familiar with the the Scopes monkey trial and the movie Inherit the Wind and all that has gone on since Darwin with his theory of evolution and on and on and on. So there are interpretive issues that I want to briefly discuss and move on from because we could get bogged down here for quite some time if we're not careful. The first thing we need to understand is that Genesis is written from Moses' point of view. doesn't mean it isn't God's word, but Moses is writing as someone sitting on the earth watching creation happen. We're not getting God's perspective as it is written. We're getting an observer, an earthbound observer's view. So that changes, or that at least colors how we read it. We're, we're sitting beside Moses. Imagine that we were blind and he is telling us what he sees happening. And we weren't there, so that's exactly what is happening. We're seeing his perspective from that. A uh, number of uh, uh, interpretive issues. That How long did it happen? Was it really six days? Is it six literal days? Is it, is it ages in the days? There, there's a thing called the gap theory that says there's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. And in that gap, uh, Satan fell and corrupted a perfect earth and God remade what was there. No evidence of that, by the way, but it's a theory that's out there. Um, those questions come up because of things like The passage says morning and evening was the first day, except the sun and moon weren't created until the fourth day. So there wasn't a morning and an evening, not without a solar system, not without the the sun being created. Could it mean then that that phrase morning and evening is just uh, uh, an idiom, a, a, a colloquialism, something like all in a day's work? Morning and evening was the first day, and he did his work on that day. It's, it's possible. It's not necessary, but it's possible. We have vegetation. We have plants growing on the earth before there's a sun. Now, if you remember your basic uh, biology class, you, you learned about chlorophyll and how uh, chlorophyll creates the food for the plant, but based on sunlight. So so there's a a question that as we read the order of creation, the vegetation was created on the third day, sun was created, I believe, on the fourth, if I remember correctly. So maybe it was six days. Maybe it was thousands of years. Lots of folks think that when the Lord says elsewhere in Scripture, a a day is as a thousand years, uh, that's a reflection of, or at least a way to understand Genesis and the, the creation account that we're, we're seeing it from Moses' perspective as he describes it. It's uh, all in a day's work, but there was a lot of time between all of that going on. Maybe not. The arrangement of it, the way the, the, the six days of creation are arranged could be for a literary purpose and not a chronological purpose. The Bible does this a lot. Often the writers weren't concerned about chronology. Um, 
one of the Gospels, and I can't remember which one off the top of my head now, is pretty clearly not chronological. It's, it's a uh, story-based uh, setting. It is, it is taking the things that Jesus did, actual events, it's not wrong, and it puts them in there thematically, not chronologically, because that wasn't the purpose. Maybe that's what they're doing here in the first, uh, in the six days of creation. Because if you look at it, the first three days are realms that are created, the heavens and the earth. Then you have the waters and the dry land. And then you have the vegetation on the dry land on the third day. And then on the fourth, fifth, and sixth day, he creates the inhabitants for those realms. On the fifth or the fourth day, matching the first, the sun and the moon are put in the sky. On the uh, fifth day, the um, the the teeming uh, right. Yeah, the, 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 the seas are filled, and uh, the land is filled with animals. The, the realm was created on the second day. And then on the sixth day, humanity. And right, am I, am I getting it right? Then in the, on the third day, uh, it was the, 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 the vegetation, the place for uh, humanity and uh, uh, I should have worn my reading glasses today for some reason, um, were pl- placed in the, uh, on the earth on the third day. Sorry, I got a little, little confused there. Anyway, so you've got the realms on the three days and what inhabited the realms on the, sec- uh, the, the fourth, fifth, and sixth day. Let's go with that. These are great conversations to have over coffee. Wherever you fall in all of that doesn't make you a heretic. Let's begin with, in the beginning, God. Because he did it, out of nothing. I'll tell you, when, when I have in the past, uh, at, at points, really, and I may have told you all this before, really just thought, you know what? Is all of this true? You know, I know I preach it, I went to school for it, I've believed it all of my life, but most of us along the way, at points in time, go, really? Because there's a lot we can't see, a lot we have to take on faith. And faith's hard, faith's not easy, y'all. It's hard to believe some things constantly, all the time, without doubt. My go-to has always been creation. I just find evolution from nothing absolutely untenable. Even even if we grant the Big Bang Theory and, and we say, yes, at some point in time, everything that is was squeezed down into a dot that you couldn't see, and then suddenly it exploded for no real reason that we can understand, I'm still going to ask you, how did the dot get there, and why did it explode? There's got to be a cause. There's got to be a grand mover to all of this. Well, if there is a grand mover, then 
I begin there and I go, well, he's, he's going to make himself known if he went to all of this trouble to make all of this. And then I get, well, there are different religions, yeah, but there's only one where the creator shows up to save the created. Every other religion, it depends on you. Christianity depends on the one who did the creating. So that's where I go, because I always go back to God. I always begin creation with God. Now, what is our point this morning? Well, God's good gifts. There's, there's a lot here. Uh, there's a lot that, that God has gifted us, these gifts of God in these passages. But the, the focus, the, the purpose, he's not creating um, none of what he created on the first five and a half days was his reason for creation. He is working toward his special creation, humanity. So as we read this passage, as we go through it, we need to see that the uniqueness of humanity and bearing the image of God is the source of the worth and value of every individual person. That's going to be at the end of our scripture reading. We'll see that statement again. Let's read the passage together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. So there's our first realm, the heavens and the earth, light and darkness. The light, where'd the light come from? God. There's no sun, there are no stars. The light was from God himself. Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning the second day. Here is the second realm he created. Verse 9, then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the fourth day. So, the first creation of inhabitants for the realms that he created on, the day, first, on day one. Verse 20. 
Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning, the fifth day, the inhabitants of the second day's creation. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, a new scene, if we were watching a movie, it would have faded out and faded back in to him doing something extra. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the earth, uh, entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. And those are the inhabitants of the vegetation that he created. So you see that, that structure. So our big idea this morning, he is, we've worked from the entire universe down to one man and one woman. We don't know his creative work with animals. Did he create one of each, male and a female? Did he create a whole bunch at once? Did he create a whole bunch of vegetation at once? It reads like it. But what we see with man is specific, particular, unique creation. And that informs our message today, where we are going. The uniqueness of humanity in bearing the image of God is the source of the worth and value of every individual person. You've heard me say many times, our response to people must be that they are people loved by God. They are people made in the image of God. Earlier this week, and this will, we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to the fall and uh, Genesis 3.15, our sinfulness does not remove our humanity. And we're quick to call people that do things that are awful, truly awful, truly evil, we call them animals and barbarians and any number of other names. And we try to deny their humanity. And yet those people are created in the image of God, just like you and me. It changes how we respond to things, at least it should. It's one of the reasons that we are pro-life. We are anti-abortion. 
But it also should be why we are pro-life after the child is born as well, until natural death. It's a lot of the reason why a lot of Christians are anti-death penalty. Some of them, a lot of them, are because our justice system just doesn't get it right enough. Better to kill nobody than to kill someone wrongly. But life is precious. The reverse of that, as far as the death penalty goes, is if they take in a life, they have taken an image bearer, and therefore the, the penalty, the just penalty for that is a life. I understand that. I understand that scripturally. But again, with the justice system the way it is, Maybe that's not the best idea. The uniqueness of humanity. Every one of us bears the image of God. No other creation of God does. He doesn't breathe life into anything else. He doesn't say uh, to, uh, of anything else that it is very good. And nothing else bears his image. We are particular. And these are the points I'm going to make today. Number one, the particularity in immensity. We are specks in the universe. The earth is not even a big planet. It's, it's not even an impressive planet as far as, we, you know, you think our hurricanes are bad. Well, you, you know, there, there are planets where it rains sulfuric acid and the hail is diamonds. You know, it, it, we have, they have storms on Jupiter where the winds are like five, six, seven hundred miles an hour. We're not that impressive as an earth, as a planet. And yet, though we shouldn't think the universe revolves around us, God created the universe around us. But it's not about us, right? It's about God. He's the focus. We are particular in this immense creation of His. 1 through 13, verses 1 through 13, show us the immensity of the, the universe that He created. And I, I believe that is one of the purposes of the writing of Moses here. Look around you, Moses is saying. And at this time, when he's writing, he's telling them to look at the nations around you. Look at the people around you. Look, look how far you've wandered and walked, and yet you haven't covered a fraction of what the known world was at the time. Much less the unknown world. They didn't know about North America and South America. Knew very little about the Far East. They just knew their area. Southern Africa was a, uh, a, 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 a myth almost to them. Europe was a, Britain, though they didn't, they, you know, they didn't know. And Moses is saying, look how small you are. And yet let me tell you how God shaped, created, formed, directed, planned everything to come down to this moment to call out a people. And Moses saw dimly in the future the Messiah, the one that would be better than him. God continuing to funnel creation down 
to the seed who would be born to step and crush the serpent's head. Immensity to particularity. And the vastness of everything. And this blows our minds. It doesn't blow the mind of God because... His ways are higher. A day is a thousand years. His, our fool, our, his wisdom is our foolishness. Uh, I mean, our, our wisdom is his foolishness. He doesn't struggle with this. But we do. God loves you individually. He knows you. The James Webb Telescope. The Hubble was wonderful. And if the Hubble was wonderful, James Webb is phenomenal, the pictures that they're sending back. Seeing thousands and thousands and thousands of light years away. The most recent mind-blowing image is one where they picked, I think it was one square inch of blackness in the sky. And they pointed James Webb telescope at that big black bit of nothing and what they got was this image of just in the image thousands of bright spots and they focused a little bit more and what they had was not thousands of stars but thousands and thousands of galaxies with billions and trillions of stars And we can't even think in those numbers. And yet God knows every star, every galaxy, and how many hairs are on my head and face. He knows which ones are gray and which ones are brown. And which ones are half and half. He knows all of those things. Because we are his special creation. We are created in his image. We are are his focus. Verses 14 through 17, or 14 through 27, show us particularity and diversity. As big as everything is, he has also created things that are wildly dissimilar and incredibly similar at the same time. Genetically, we're related to many, uh, very closely related to a lot of different species, and yet there is just an incredible amount of diversity in his creation. Just in life, there are some 900,000 species of insect. And, and, and when we're talking about insects, we're talking about everything from the housefly to the fire ant to those bugs that look like leaves. And, and all these other, and, and, you know, the six-legged ones. We ain't even talking about the eight-legged ones yet, the arachnids. Yeah, 900,000 species of insects. 320,000, these are estimates, by the way, nobody's counted. 320,000 species of plants. Little bitty plants, really big plants. This summer we saw redwoods and sequoias. And I got crepe myrtles in my front yard. Those things aren't the same. 
320,000, 34,300 species of fish. Not the mammals that live in the, in the water, just the fish. And there's one human race. One human. And God knows us. And God knows us individually. As I said earlier, the only created thing with God's breath in him and her. The only thing that is in God's image. The the only creature, the only creation that is self-aware and God-aware. You know, there was a... Uh, I've seen one of the reels on Facebook where they, they put a, a mirror in the middle of a jungle and set up a camera to see what the animals would do when they saw it. And you know what? It scared them. They, they wanted to, some of them wanted to fight it and tried. And some of them would hit the mirror and, and try to walk around it and be confused because it's gone, whatever they were seeing. Because they're not aware of themselves. They don't look at the mirror and go, hey, that's me. No, they go, hey, that's somebody I'm mad at, because I'm mad at everybody. God has made us to be aware of ourselves. And in being aware of ourselves, we are aware of Him. Out of all of the the diversity, out of all the things He created, He said, this one is very good. This one is going to be like us, like me. He said. That affects how we see others. It should. Because when we look at someone, we are looking at God's special creation. We were told to subdue the earth, but subduing, part of subduing is stewardship. So when he says take care of the earth, he means take care of it. So that means conservation. That means doing things well, being uh, good with what he has provided, the resources he has provided to us. But if it means that for oil and rocks and, and, and air and all that, how much more does it mean that we are supposed to treat others who are created in the image of God better than, well, than we probably do? There's no one you meet for whom Jesus didn't die. There's no person you come into contact with who does not bear the image of excuse me, the image of God. There's no one. We are unique. We are particular. And we should treat each other, those we know personally and those we don't, as those unique creations of God. Verses 28 through 31 show us particularity and responsibility. No other creature was given the responsibility of stewardship. The animals, the fish, the birds, is like, you know, eat all you want, go to the bathroom wherever you want to, doesn't matter, it's just, just do, you know, you got your things to do. Humans, you have a responsibility. I'm setting you over it all. You are responsible for this. You are responsible to take care of it, to tend it, 
part of that is the curse. Now we have to work the land to get anything out of it. But it is our responsibility to do it well. No other creation has that responsibility. My dog lives like he has no responsibility because he has none. It's just eat the food that's out there and whatever we drop if he likes it and go to the bathroom half the time outside and half the time inside because he doesn't care. He has no responsibility. We do. When God gets done creating in verse 31... He says, he saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. So he's been creating one day, two days, three days, four days, five days. And every day he says, that's good, that's good. But on the sixth day, he creates animals, the the, the land-dwelling animals, and then he, he clears off the table, whatever he was using to create, and he, he says, now, now I'm going to create the masterpiece, the special creation. And he creates man. And he breathes air into him, and man is in the image of him, male and female. Two genders. Only two. And he's going to set up the the, the marriage. God defines marriage, not humans. One man, one woman, for life, not divorcing. He says, this is how I'm going to do it. And when he gets done with man and woman, he steps back. He surveys everything, and he says, this is very good. What changed? Humanity. When he created humanity, it was the capstone. It was the the crowning achievement. It's it's like when, I, I hate cutting the grass, and yet, I do it because I, I want it done a certain way. And there are those days when it's, it's just, I'm, I'm tired or I don't have time, so I, I just mow it, and I might blow it off, but I might not have time to blow off the sidewalk and all that. I just, I got to knock the grass down so it doesn't become a jungle. And it's, it's good. I mean, it, 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 gets, it gets me by. But on those days when I have time, I mow it, and then I get the edger out, and I cut. I, I, when I cut the grass, I, I cut it really high. I like, I like carpet grass. I, I, don't, I don't like golf course grass, not in my yard. I, I, want, it, I want it thick. And then, then I get that edger, and I am going down the curb and the sidewalk, and, and, I, and it makes me so mad if, if it hits a, a root or something and jumps over into the yard and does a little divot, and then, because I want that edge I want you to be able to shave on the edge of that grass. And then I get the weed eater and I, around the trees and, and around the fences and, and, and the, the, the buildings and 
Then I get the blower, and I blow it off. And if it's a windy day, i got to blow it off again because I was blowing against the wind. Against the wind. I keep blowing against the wind. And it, it, it blows it back on there. I go, no, and then i got to turn around and do it the other direction. And then, and then, occasionally, I'll take a picture of it. I know. Dork. Probably posted on Facebook occasionally. I, but, you know, I'll do it because, oh, look over there at the whatever it is across the street. Or, oh, isn't it pretty raining or whatever. I'm just really taking a picture of the edging. Because at the end of that, at the end of that process, I, after I've done what for me is the crowning achievement of the yard, I step back and say, that's very good. That looks, that's nice exactly what God did when he created man, when he created us. He created everything else, and it was good. I mean, look around us. Travel, go places, see things besides the swamps of South Louisiana. Chafalaya Basin is beautiful. So is California. So is New Mexico-ish in its own way in places. So, so are so many other places. Some of y'all were just in West Virginia and Ohio and other places to see the, the, the fall colors. We have fall colors, brown. It's a color. We see God's creation, and we know it's good. We ooh and we ah. And then we see somebody we don't like, and we ooh and ugh. Y'all, y'all. God's image bearers walk the earth. And we are very good. We're sinful. We're fallen. Without Jesus, we're lost. But the creation was very good. And we should be treating others as if they are God's very good creation. Every person is a gift to us. Every relationship. The, the, the wood may not like the sandpaper, but that sandpaper is a gift to them. And no, God has not called any of you to be sandpaper. You've just chosen to be. But every relationship, every person is a gift. Every breath we have is a gift. All of creation is a gift to humanity. We are to subdue it. I don't know if you noticed, by the way, and some of y'all aren't going to like me. I'm not going to like me. But originally, we were vegetarians. Did y'all see that? Every plant, every seed bearing, every fruit was given for food for men and women and all the animals, too. And don't say nothing about eating meat. Still gonna eat meat. I'm just telling you what, what. It's not a, it's not a command. Okay, I'm just telling you what was. All of creation is a gift, and every person, you and you and you and you and every other person in the world was gifted with God's image, and to be treated and loved as such. It was very good. You are created very good. But you're also sinful. 
But that was taken care of too. I, I can't help but get ahead of myself. We can't help but jump to Genesis 3.15. One day, see, creation suffers from the same malady that we do. Our sin made creation suffer. The, 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 the creation will one day be made new, and, and it will be brand new. But God sent to his image bearers his image in the flesh. Did you hear that? That's how the New Testament describes him. He's the very image of God. Jesus is. So to his image bearers, he sent an exact representation, an exact image, the same of, as, uh, of himself to humanity. We only bear the image. Jesus is the image. Jesus is God. And he was sent to save us. The creation, the special creation. He ain't sent nobody to save dogs or bears or grapevines or poison ivy or sunflowers or sedimentary rocks or igneous rocks, or the mantle, or the core, or star. Nothing has a Savior except God's special creation. And as an image bearer who knows the very image of God in Jesus Christ, shouldn't we be telling other image bearers about the one that can save them? The very image of God himself, Jesus Christ. Gifts of God. He lets you breathe. He lets you live. And he gives you salvation. No better gift than that. Do you have that salvation? Have you experienced that salvation? Romans 6.23 says that you can. But it tells us of the, the sin problem. The wages of sin is death. but The gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. You, you, the, the sin problem the, 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 that Adam and Eve brought on that we're going to talk about was, that, that was prophesied to be fixed in Genesis 3.15 showed up on what we celebrate as Christmas Day and died on Easter, or Good Friday rather, rose on Easter so that we as God's image bearers could have not just... The, the likeness of him, not just bear his image, but to, but to carry him with us. Have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? You have a next step to take. Something on the screen. Maybe you need to accept Christ as Savior. Maybe you need to uh, conform your life to Christ this morning. Maybe you need to see other image bearers as image bearers and not animals. Maybe it's a change of perspective that you need today. You want to talk about one of those things. You want to pray about it. In a few minutes, uh, Chelsea will be up here to my left. I'll be over here on the right. Uh, two of our deacons, Lee and Kirk, will be in the back. If you'd like to talk to any of us about that, have somebody pray with you. That'll be your chance to do that. We are unique in God's creation. 
And that is our value. God loves you, and God loves me, and he loves every other person so much that he sent his son to die for him. Will you share that with people? Will you see people that way? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us enough to to send your son. You love us enough to continue to give us gifts, the, 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 the rains, and, and, and you, you set everything in motion so that some however many years it's been since you created everything, it's still going. God, you did that to bring yourself glory, of course, through us. But all of these things were created to provide for us. And Lord, and then you, when we went astray, you provided a way through Jesus. God, thank you for your intimate involvement in your creation. Your love, your constancy. And Lord, I thank you how you loved even particular me to save me to send Jesus for my sins and the sins of every person in here Lord I pray that we would respond this morning it may be that we need to see people as image bearers it may be that we need to respond in faith to Jesus maybe we need to join the church or do make some other decision Lord I pray in this time as we worship as we sing that you would lead us all to respond to you in faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand and sing. Maybe you just want to come up here and pray. Don't want to pray with anybody but you and the Lord. That's fine, as we worship him and he does business with us today.